It was a snowy day in upstate New York? Uh, well, originally it was a snowy day down in the Caribbean, but... (laughs) (laughs) You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to episode 306 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I'm Stephen Seagraves, joined by Seth Miller and Fosma Moon. And this week, special guest, Jason Rabinowitz, uh, as you might know him, Airline Flyer. How you Thank doing, you Jason? guys for having me again. Thank you. Um, I don't think I've traveled anywhere or done anything since the last time we spoke, but good to be back. <laughs> I, I was going to ask, are you really, is your Twitter handle really appropriate at this point? No, I should really change it to apartment sitter or, or something. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I saw a train the other day. That was exciting. I, hey, you, hey. You've ridden around in cars a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. I, I went to New Jersey. And you're you're now identifying triple seven two hundreds via sound. Yeah, I, I went out to my parents' place um, a couple days ago over the weekend, and th- there are still some airplanes that go to JFK, and I can still tell what some of them are just by listening to them. So I, I got that going for me. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> it's little things in life. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we've got some follow up from last week. Uh, Breeze pulled their uh, Compass Cert deal, Seth. Yeah, uh, so we we briefly talked about this and sort of the drama around how they were gonna try to shortcut the FAA approval process to getting their new certificate by buying Compass out, which is and totally common and normal, right? It actually kind of is. Like when airlines go out of business, they keep just enough of their operations running that the certificate stays valid because getting a certificate is hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we mentioned during last week's show, one of the challenges about that though was uh, what other baggage would come with that certificate. And Alpa rightfully pointed out that you can't just buy a certificate. You have to sort of buy the whole airline. And if you buy the whole airline, uh, even if no one's working there, you have to honor the collective bargaining agreement and the pilots had uh, that the pilots had. And so they would be union pilots from day one when Breeze started up again. Uh, whether that specifically ended the deal or not is hard to say, but it was about 12 hours between those two filings. So could, like in a case like Compass, could one file for bankruptcy, have the contract invalidated, then sell your certificate? Presumably, if you could get the contract uh, annulled or, you know, discharged, yes. Um, but that's not a guarantee, right? It's part of the conversation between the creditors and other issues. And so it's, it's, it's not a certainty that that would happen. Often it becomes a negotiation and concessions, not you are no longer representative by a CBA. Understood. But you could and renegotiate it. Yes, there, it, it could be grounds for some of the renegotiation. But again, in this case, you know, they basically are in that position. And, uh, you know, Chapter 11 provides the framework for that, but no guarantees that any of it works. And so are they still saying 2021 now for the start of operations? They're still saying 2021 for the start of operations. That whole October 15th date that they put in the filing with Breeze was always a ruse anyways. I've been led to believe, um, and I don't, but sure. Um, so, yeah, it'll happen eventually. Or not. <laughs> or not. <laughs> or not. I mean, at this point, maybe they could buy Express Jets instead. Oh, oh. So let's just jump right to that. Uh, yeah, I, I may be doing things out of order, Stephen. I apologize. Uh, oh, that's okay. No, no, no. I think it's great. So um, it was a smooth transition. Um, <laughs> Express Jet, <laughs> you're, you're kind of writing a story on this, I guess, right now. Or have you already written it? I wrote it, yeah. Uh, Express Jet has kind of said they're going out of business sooner rather than later. September 30th. Uh, okay. Over the weekend, they so the backstory is on July 30th, United announced that Commute Air would be the sole Embraer 145 operator for its regional services. Uh, previously, both ExpressJet and Commute Air operated the type, um, and it was going to be a you know controlled sort of shutdown of services, yada yada yada. Um, ExpressJet management looked at that and basically said. 
like slowly ramping down services is an operational disaster waiting to happen. It's just like, you know, a plane breaks or a crew's out of position and you don't have anyone left to support them because you've been laying people off over the course of months and this and that. It's smarter and easier just to have a one shot shutdown. And so they went back to United and said, thank you so much for the opportunity to, you know, have an organized shutdown over several months. It makes more sense for us to just stop on September 30th because the CARES Act expires. Our $110 million is no longer an issue that we got from the federal government. And we're done. Wow. So uh, bad news, obviously, for all the employees. Uh, It's about 2,500 employees, according to the uh, DOT records that I could find. And, you know, obviously very bad news for all of them. Uh, they, the company expects to furlough or terminate almost all of them. Uh, they left sort of, but this going back to the operating certificate, they left a tiny little caveat slash opening in the statement they made, which is we will maintain just the necessary staff to manage the wind down of operations and c- any future considerations or something to that effect. I have the quote mm-hmm. somewhere, but it's that future considerations part that's a little interesting. Eastern, op- Eastern operated by ExpressJet. <laughs> what I thought it was dynamic. Is dynamic still a thing? <laughs> no, dynamic was Eastern, but gave up the dynamic name for the sake of Eastern, right? <laughs> sure. And then there, mm. I don't know. I get them a mix up because another similar shell game where people they all change their names like three times. Anyway, <laughs> um, I mean, this is kind of, it's kind of is this the first major uh, to go out of business? I wouldn't call them a major, but just like first big airline to go out of business in the United States due to COVID. Well, it's the fourth regional. Fourth regional, but Express Chess is the fairly biggest? large. Yeah, I know, that's what I'm wondering. <sighs> Who was bigger to... at the end of the day? Would it be Express Jet or, or something more critical like Raven up in Alaska? Mm. Oh, that's a good I mean, point. My passengers more carried and everything else has got to be uh, Express Jet just because it's so many more, so many such bigger planes. Yeah, but, but from an important standpoint, like Jason said, yeah, I mean, could Compass be was only 56 aircraft. Um, I forget what Trans States was. Right, they went out too. Yep. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I would have really appreciated if Air Whiskey would have been the one to go, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> like, why couldn't they bite the dust? So true. <laughs> yeah, so it, true. Just sort of back to the union and contract issues. The prevailing theory on the selection between Commute Air and Express Jet is basically that the average pilot seniority at Express Jet is something like 18 years. Oh, wow. Um, that's according to a, a, something I read on airliners.net. So, you know, large block of salt here to lick while absorbing that fact. But um, they, they're a much more senior staff. So even if the overall numbers look similar in the pay scales, because they're so much more senior in tenure, it's a way more expensive operation. Yeah. From what I've been told over the years, ExpressJet was really the regional that you wanted to, to be at if you were at a regional. And there were obviously by that stat, there were a lot of people who chose to stuck around, stick around there rather than moving up to a, a mainline airline. So this one, this one stings particularly bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Anchorage as a TransPAC hub. Seth, I can make a story. sense. Re- really? We're going back I to mean, the 1980s? What, what's going on here? Basically. Uh, <laughs> the, the state of Alaska, on behalf of the Anchorage and Fairbanks airports, which they manage, filed with the DOT to extend the current exemption they have for uh, transshipment and other, basically, rules-free zone at uh, Anchorage. Right, their airports. And right now it's all cargo. Um, and they just casually slipped into the filing that, oh, and while we're here, we would like to slightly amend it and add in passengers every time it says cargo and mail. Hmm. Oops. Like, no, no big deal. I just slipped that right in. Um, yeah, they, they want approval to basically operate as a hub for foreign airlines to 
transfer passengers have change of gauge, change of aircraft service, and onward connections from anywhere in Asia into the United States, or they actually say onward to Europe. Apparently, there's a theory that flying from like the eastern side of Asia via Anchorage and then across the top isn't so bad routing-wise. Since when do they think they're Helsinki? I mean, come on. Are they Helsinki? Are they Reykjavik? <laughs> Are they like I mean, which which random city? You know, there's there's a few of these that we could bring up. Is your boarding uh, is your boarding pass an airbill? <laughs> Tape it to your forehead, sit, you know, ball yourself up, and just roll on the plane. Right, <laughs> you're getting lumped in with cargo now, right? Yeah, self-loading cargo <laughs> taken to new extremes. Uh, it's you know, it's an interesting concept. It's also like I can't imagine even if this gets approved, it's going to happen. Uh, another great example: San Juan. Puerto Rico uh, was recently earlier this year approved for an almost identical request. And the folks in Alaska are actually using that as a precedent to say, oh, and by the way, us too. You've got no excuse. You can't give it to them, you know, 5,000 miles away, but not to us. How how does – go ahead, Jason. What would this even look like? Would it be like Aeroflot operates an A330 to Anchorage and then splits passengers out to A320s to fly to Seattle and LA? Is it like that kind of thing? That is an option. Um it could be like Delta in Accra where – or Dakar. I don't remember, you know, one of those uh, scissor hubs. We'll throw that term out there for Stefan in honor of Foz's appearance later tonight. Uh, <laughs> right, Delta would bring in a couple different 757s commingle pa- from like Atlanta and JFK, commingle passengers, and then send them onward to final destinations. Interesting. So I, three I, Africa destinations on two planes. I, Jason, I don't know about you, but I would be on that. Very quickly. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Will any of them let us in? And is it, you know, not Russia? So I can. Would they have local transport rights as well? Could I book like just Aeroflot from Anchorage to Seattle or, or some nonsense like that? I don't think they would have true that set level of cabotage rights, um, but they would have it would have to be onward travel. Because that I would be all over. <laughs> um, no, it's listen. It's a vaguely interesting concept. I understand where they're coming from. Even if it gets approved, which you know, call it fifty-fifty based on the San Juan precedent, I can't imagine any airline actually does it. Didn't didn't the the city of Anchorage or the state of Alaska give United some crap about their their potential hub uh, in the Pacific? Uh, Hong Kong, it was Hong Kong, Singapore, Fifth Freedom that United applied for. Yeah, and did, yes. didn't they get some crap about that? And the uh, Anchorage Airport Authority filed a brief in that uh, docket protesting, saying that flying via Anchorage from San Francisco uh, to Singapore was basically almost the same distance and that they should be forced to show deference to the United States destinations, especially in this time of the CARES Act, where they had appealed to not fly to Anchorage because of reduced demand. And imagine if they brought cargo and passengers in, including those people suffering from the hellish humidity and stuffiness of uh, Singapore and how glorious a vacation and cool, crisp Anchorage would be for them. What is going on? <laughs> they, they, actually, they didn't say hellish, but they cited the humidity in Singapore as a reason that people in Singapore would want to vacation in Anchorage. It was amazing. Sure. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> they really want people to come to Alaska. Yeah. Well, oh. and that's also that's really what it comes down to. I mean, Alaska is has a lot of different. You know, ten percent I think they said of the Anchorage employment is tied to the airport. Wow. Um, and how, but how much of that is, is cargo? Oh, all of it. So why would that be? Why is it any different? Cargo is at an all time high. Well, I think they want more cargo. They want more United flights stopping to be refueled, and, no. and that's not going to last. Foz. It's not a. a it's not at an all time high. Um, it's barely recovering. Um, and it's or it's not even. It's not shrinking quite as fast as it was. Uh. And maybe coming back a tiny bit. The numbers from IATA are pretty damning right now. Um, but also, there is some demand and there are some challenges with the, and the freighters are getting better utilization than they have in a long time. 
but it's still not nearly enough. Hmm. And there, I mean, obviously global versus that specific operation. I don't know that Anchorage is having worse trouble than others, but I mean, the, the Alaska is definitely getting beat up, right? Summer is very important to them. Yeah. And so right now it's down, but we're almost yeah, no cruises, no cruises, right? That's thousands of tourists a year. Tens of thousands, probably. Like, I mean, everybody's getting screwed in that it has a tourism business, but right. But but you know, ten percent of it. Let's talk about the your comment about ten percent of anchor, uh, the Anchorage people work at the airport or are impacted by the airport. Most of that is cargo activity. Yes, right. And I don't think there's been any reduction in cargo activity. No, and and so those. I'm not. I don't think they're saying that those people are going to lose their jobs. I think they're saying air travel and aviation is super important to the economy here, and we would like to grow it. So please let us bring more people in. Also, through this ridiculous claim that Asian airlines are going to fly planes to Alaska and make a hub here. We'd like to force people to go through here. (laughs) I mean, you know, I I could argue that in some ways, if you get to like, if it is this like the BA, the old BA1 on the 318, where you get to clear customs in Anchorage while you're transferring flights and then you're on a domestic hop into wherever you're going, there could be a smidgen of value there versus a nonstop flight in from somewhere else. But that's only if they truly fully staff immigration and make it a super quick experience and you don't get left behind. <laughs> so here's, and it's been a while since I've been to, to Anchorage. Does Anchorage even really have any wide body gates? Yes, they have. I think it's like two or three. Yeah, I think there, there's two or three. Um, I can look and tell you. And I would imagine that if they're not truly dedicated wide body gates, they could double up a narrow body gate if they had to. Yeah, it, it must have. Um, uh, wasn't American planning on running 787s from DFW up to yeah. Anchorage? Yep. That's a good point. All right, because they weren't flying to China anymore, and they desperately needed to use the 787s for something. <laughs> well, at some point, they were, using, they, were using, they were using 757s up until recently, before those all went to uh, final resting places in the sky. But yeah, I think they were planning on doing 78s for a while. So it looks like they have maybe three that are capable of it. Uh, I mean, yeah. no A380 gates, but yeah. that's not really an issue since the That won't matter much soon, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? Uh, Going to hop on at one with British Airways? I know, those are 747s, I apologize. Yeah, let's not talk about it. <laughs> um, you can now tour the Faroe Islands with remote control tourism. Uh, there was an article in Adweek about this. Uh, you can yeah, – a thousand visitors were able to guide locals uh, wearing cameras on adventures around the islands. Wait, like people? Yeah. yeah. Huh. It was like video chat and you could – so the, the the story I as I read it had two different stats. One was like seven hundred thousand people were interested in it, but then it was like a thousand actually did it. So presumably you had to pay, or there was some sort of weeding out of the process. But it was like you basically hired a local to show you around the Faroe Islands through a video conference. <laughs> okay. Um, listen, the Faroe Islands have done some really really interesting slash bizarre slash weird things when it comes to tourism over the years, and they've done sort of viral campaigns like this that get them huge earned media impressions for very little money. So a couple years ago, it was, and we talked about it on the show, I'm pretty sure it was like they, because the language was dying, they, they created a system like a video call thing where you could log in and ask someone, how do you say this in your language? And they recorded it. And now they have like a huge library of what all the words are and everything. Plus, it was really interesting because people would have conversations about the Faroe Islands and what's, you know, going on there. Um, it's also an amazing place and everybody should visit. Um, it's not all at the same time because they don't really have the infrastructure for that much tourism. But um, yeah, like the hiking and the nature there and the helicopter tours. I mean, uh, very critical uh, transportation infrastructure for residents on the very disparate islands. Tours um, are amazing. I, I would love to go. I don't know that I would want to do it via video tour. Yeah, you know, I think it was a cute sort of fun idea. Yeah. 
also uh, le- left to be determined if Air- if Atlantic Airways really is still going to plan planning on starting that New York City route. They bought A three twenty one Neos to do it. Really, I didn't realize. Yeah, that. it was supposed to start either this spring or this fall. I forget which now. Oh. Um, Atlantic Airways was going to launch service to Newark. Oh, so starting service to New Jersey, you mean? Okay, Fiorello. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, but uh, I, really, I didn't know that. I know they had uh, they had gotten some 320 Neos, but I didn't know the 321 Neo. That's cool. Or I thought it was a 321. Maybe it was a 320, cool. but it has the range. Um, yeah, uh, they, I was originally supposed to start in mid-2019 and kept getting pushed back. So Interesting. So, Foz, just a little more clarification. Um, it's the North Terminal at, at Anchorage, uh, which is where they handle all the international flights. It actually has like six gates. They can handle maybe seven, actually. They can handle uh, large, wide-body traffic. And what's cool about that is that that's where the Lake Hood taxiway for the Lake Hood Airport goes, cuts through on the road. So you can, like, see little prop planes cut across the street. Kind of fascinating. Yeah. Um, all right. It was, what else? Yeah, it was supposed to be spring 2020. Um, I finally got confirmation on that. They also had a campaign where they, were, they posted they were closed for maintenance, and it was an effort to get people to volunteer and come, like, just, you know, help clean trails and stuff. Uh, and they also did a sheep view instead of street view because they have more sheep than they do people. Um, similar to sort of this, the people walking around claim, uh, tourism thing, but the sheep view actually Google, I think ended up buying the content and putting it on a street view and they ended up on street view now. Hmm. Very creative group. Um, very nice people. Really. It was a great visit when we went a couple of years ago. So can't speak highly enough about it. Would you like, I mean, I know you, I know you guys did an Iceland camping trip. Is something possible like that in the Faroe Islands? So it's part of the same trip. Um, we did, I think, three nights in the Faroe Island. Or we like we flew to Iceland, overnighted, flew onward to the Faroe Islands, did three nights, and then came back. Um, there isn't the same camper van infrastructure that I recall. Mm-hmm. Um, and we stayed in the spare bedroom of someone's house on an air as a part of Airbnb. Okay, um, it was a lovely host. I'd highly recommend her. It was you know very nice. She was very friendly, um, but. It was definitely not a sort of uh, DIY. It was it was DIY, but not quite the same as like rent a van and just drive around. There was a little more structure to it. Um, we stayed in town every night and then sort of did day trips out and about. Gotcha, gotcha. Looks like a fascinating place. Yeah, and I, I, we did three nights. I easily probably could have done five to seven and not gotten bored. Really? Yeah, because it's, it's not a big place. Like looking no. at it on the map, it's not very big. So I'm in, I'm impressed. No, with it's you. I mean it's like twenty ish inhabited islands spread out around you know the North Sea, but. Yeah. Wow. Most of them are connected by tunnels now. There's a few that aren't, which is why the helicopters still exist. And the helicopter is considered essential transport for those remote islands and is subsidized by the government. So it's a super cheap flight. Or it was when we did it. Like, the 30-minute flight out to the most remote point we could get was $35. Totally going to do this now. Yeah, and it was like like a hell of a tour. Like, you you glued yourself to the window, and, like, we landed on one of the random islands, and a couple people got out because they were going to live there, and someone had to drop off some mail or something, and then we took off, and they're like, is anyone going to the next island? And no one raised (laughs) their hand, so we just flew past it. So, you know, my lines are a little different than maybe they were supposed to be. Um, But, yeah, it was really amazing. And, like, we ended up on this remote island and hiked around for a couple hours and then got back to the ferry terminal, and I had a phone call with a customer waiting for the boat to arrive back in New York. Yeah. That's awesome. They didn't know I was out of the country. It was a really good win. (laughs) Um... It doesn't sound like Qantas is coming back to the United States until there's a vaccine. Do you blame them? Uh, no. Would you uh, want to come here if you were them? N- not particularly. Uh, I have heard floated around they won't be back to JFK until 2023. And that's from an employee who works at that terminal at JFK. So that does not surprise me in the least. 2023. That is what I have been told. And honestly, that kind of seems plausible. So no projects on race. 
at least not for the time being. Um, it sounds really far away from now, but I just I don't have trouble believing that that could be true. Some someone headlined this story, Project Sunset. So there you go, pause. <laughs> I mean, but the reality is right. We all watch this industry long enough. If the demand is there and they can do it safely, they'll do it when they're ready, when the demand is there. Absolutely. I think the, the reality, though, is at this point, the demand and having, right, I mean, the entire industry was sort of in a, you know, a bubble of sorts just waiting to burst. And there was a ton going on. But we got to the point where, like, now that it's burst, like, you know, they were, the airlines were like, we have all these airplanes. What other ridiculous routes can we try to fly that might get a few people to show up? Mm-hmm. And now it's, dear God, can anyone please get back on board? Yeah. So, you know, is, is there enough... Is there enough daily demand for premium business class travel from Sydney to New York? Maybe by 2023, but even that seems, you know, a, a bit of a pipe dream right now, given that the, the revised estimates keep saying 2019 levels. Now, I think I is saying late 2023, early 2024, right? They pushed out another year. Yeah, I, I figure when they do ramp service back up to the U.S., they will terminate their flights at LAX and let partners handle the, the rest of the connections. Um, but they're only going to resume service out to the East Coast when they actually have critical mass to do so. And I don't see that anytime soon. Yeah. Nor will we see uh, Air New Zealand service to Newark that was supposed to start up relatively soon. I don't see that happening anytime in the next couple of years. Or Chicago, right? You got five. You had to, you and Stephen had inaugural tickets for that one. No, uh, was that Brisbane? It was yeah, Brisbane. Brisbane. Yeah. yeah, which we probably won't get <laughs> now. Mine, at this point. mine still hasn't canceled. Really? Yeah, we talked about this last week. I know. <laughs> wow, crazy. Um, talked about it off show, but we talked about this last week. Anyway, so now for the the real reason that Jason's here, uh, since he's not traveling and not flying. He had to get his airline fixed somehow, and Microsoft Flight Simulator 2020 is out and about, and Jason, you've played it. I have, uh, for a couple hours at least. It took me uh, a couple days just to get the game downloaded, installed, uh, reinstalled, re-downloaded, reinstalled, and re-downloaded another couple times, but I finally got it working, and it's fun. It's, it's not Let's be perfect. clear, you, your multiple downloads and reinstalls is because you're running it in a VM virtual machine on yes Shadow. And, yes and no. So, yeah, I don't have a PC that's capable of running this game, and that's a whole other conversation. Uh, this new flight sim that Microsoft put out is... Is like you ever hear the memes back in the day of can it run crisis um well that's basically what this is now this is the new benchmark for will it break your pc and can it possibly run it um you need really really high-end hardware to get anything respectable out of this game and i'm not willing to spend two thousand dollars on a gaming pc that i'll use just for this so yes I, i'm using a shadow that's called uh, a service that is called shadow where it's uh cloud PC gaming. Uh, you could play it on pretty much any device, but I'm playing it on a Mac, which is pretty cool, with an Xbox controller, which is all sorts of weird. Um, but it's really low latency, which is pretty cool. Once you start to get it going, I can't tell that I'm not running it natively right on my Mac, which is pretty amazing. <laughs> Did Xbox controllers become USB at some point? Did I miss a... Um, so switch? any modern controller just charges over... This has micro USB. I think uh, the PlayStation controller is the same. But yeah, you can just plug it in uh, to anything with USB. You can do it over Bluetooth. Uh, it's pretty. Much, you can do it on an iPad even. But Jason, it's not a gaming PC. It's a flight simulator. Right. It's a flight, not a game. I, I right? don't have a, a, a flight simulation PC rather than a gaming PC because these are somehow more expensive somehow. But I, I have friends that have... 
very high-end hardware. They bought a new GPU, like an NVIDIA 2070 Super, which is like a $600 GPU, and he's still barely pulling 15, 20 frames per second for this game, which is insane. Yeah, I mean, I was I was seeing people with very like very high end PCs getting maybe twenty frames per second, which is yeah. awful. I'm getting it's, so the interesting thing is you're gonna get the reliability and the the performance back determined by what you set the game to. So it has real time weather, it has real time air traffic, it has uh, real time multiplayer, and all of those really seem to degrade the performance. If you turn uh, multiplayer off and live traffic off, you get a bump in the frames per second, mm. but it, it's compounded by where you're playing geographically in the game. So if you're flying over New York, there is a lot more terrain, there's a lot more 3D textures, there's a lot more going on. I get half the FPS I do when I'm flying uh, in Africa or the Caribbean or somewhere they have less less objects rendered. Um, so I can get up to 30 in the middle of nowhere, but it really drops down. It's still playable, but mm. it's, it's noticeable when you're somewhere where there's a lot going on. Did you fly past the 200-story house in Melbourne? I did not. I have to find where that is on the map. (laughs) The backstory there is somebody, I think it was on Open Streets, uh, Open Map, uh, accidentally fat-fingered a a 200 instead of, I think, a 2. So there's just this giant 200-story tower in the middle of Australia, I think. Yes, he he put it. He fat finger two twelve. It was part of a university assignment where he was like for an ar- uh, architecture where he was required to go in and like help fill out the OpenStreetMaps database with information about the town. And so Melbourne, Australia has this random house that instead of being two stories is two hundred and twelve. Yeah, I gotta go find that one day. But and it's like a tiny, tiny like you know like a house in the middle that's ridiculously tall. It's amazing. Yeah. So I, I was not willing to spend $2,000. So if anyone wants, they can try Shadow Out. But I think there's like a, a waiting list to November or December if you're in the New York region, which is unfortunate. Um, and I play it on this confusingly titled Xbox Game Pass, even though it has nothing to do with it. Xbox and it's on PC, but it costs a dollar for the first month. So why not? Mm. Um, but the game itself, it, it's... It is similar to Flight Sim X from, I think, like 2006. So it's been a, been a while. Um, it doesn't have every feature that the old game had. It, it kind of feels like a work in progress. Very, I'm not going to say very unfinished, but there's definitely aspects of the prior games that I'm missing and I would very much like to see. So that's that's it's not done yet, in my opinion. Any, anything in particular that stands out to you that you would wish was there? Yeah, so things like instant replay, like if I do something really cool or really stupid, um, it's in the past. You, there's, there's no there's no way to view that again. Mm. Uh, you can't change the aircraft you're flying in real time. So in the old game, you could just toggle a, t- a different aircraft, and there there it is. It renders there in real time. Um, well, that's wait. You, so you like you take off in a seven thirty seven, and then suddenly you're flying an MD eleven, and you land a seven forty seven. If you went through the menu settings and changed it, yeah, you didn't have to start. So is this Hollywood? Kind of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just pretend you're in a, a high-budget Hollywood production and you can be in eight different aircrafts at the same time. But the new game, at least for me, the loading time is very variable. Sometimes going back to the menu will take 20 seconds. Sometimes it will take 20 minutes. So mm-hmm. I, I really try to avoid doing that. Um, you have to be very particular and purposeful about what you choose to fly, where you choose to fly it, because you might wait a very long time to get back to the menus to change it. And you, you mentioned sort of the real-time weather and real-time ATC and stuff. I know I seem to recall your first – or one, one of your early flights from JFK to Newark, you were uh, 
forced to go around because United didn't clear the runway in front of you. Was that a real-time that thing? Is, or? That is true, and I think it was a real-time aircraft that was on the runway. So uh, you can't choose a United aircraft. You can't choose any other liveries right now. I don't think they come out with any officially. Um, but yeah, I was uh, one of my first flights. I was uh, attempting to land, I think, runway four left at Newark in a an A320neo. And, and actually, the, the AI air traffic control told me to go around because a United A320, I think, which doesn't actually exist, was still on the runway, so they told me to go around. Um, Maybe it has A320s. What are you doing over there? A320neo. Sorry, there are no COs in the game, only neos. How it should be. (laughs) Wow, okay. Do they also only have 737 Max in, so none of them are flying? They have no 737s in this game. So um, Flight Sim X had A321 COs and 73NG, the 800. For some reason, this game does not have the 737 at all. Did you you play X-Plane at all, Jason? I tried to a couple of years ago, but I never quite got into it. Probably for the same reason as I just didn't have the hardware to play it. Yeah. I was just wondering, because I know it's, it's, it's also kind of like a more technical game. Like you just need, you know, the min, there's a, it's a much more, um, uh, difficult menu system in my opinion. Yeah. That's also why I couldn't get into it. I couldn't figure out how to use it. <laughs> um, I mean, it sounds like fun. And you said it's, it's actually really. The weather is amazing. Yeah, that's one thing that really stands out is I think some people are going to use this just as Microsoft Weather Simulator rather than Microsoft Flight Simulator because <laughs> it's really quite spectacular. I was just screwing around with this before we started recording. Um, I, I set the weather to all sorts of really, really terrible. And the level at which the weather can be localized around you and tweaked and modified visually is just absolutely stunning. And it actually meshes with like the instruments on board so i turned on the the nexrad weather radar you would see from adsb in on on some of the ga aircraft and you can actually see like the different intensities of the weather and you look out the the flight deck window and you actually see that variable weather in front of you which is really quite incredible but you also made it snow in the caribbean i did um so maybe climate change realistic weather <laughs> touche, touche. I, I, I heard two hurricanes blow through this. <laughs> That's one thing I wanted to try. I tried um, setting my locations in some of these hurricanes, and I don't think the real time weather is actually working quite yet. Um, but you can certainly turn it up on your own and screw around that way. And I, and I heard a rumor you uh, overran a runway. Uh, maybe intentionally. So I. I t- <laughs> so this was at Stewart. I turned the, the weather all sorts of crazy. There were eight feet of snow on the ground. Um, I went. I don't think I had the aircraft configured to land properly. So as I was on final, um, auto throttle kicked in and kind of took the engines to to take off go around mode. I don't know why it did that, but um, I landed very very long and ended up in some grass. But it's it, it's okay. It's okay. It was a snowy grass. It was soft. <laughs> exactly. It's a nice controlled descent into the end of the runway. But I, there's some things that don't quite work right. Like the the there's a lot of videos out there on Twitter of uh, people turning on the AI pilot. Uh, it does not work well. You will end up flying into a mountain. You will end up flying into the ground, upside down. Uh, there's a lot of work to be done. I honestly think they rushed the game since they went from alpha to beta to commercial release in about a month. I don't know why they would have done that, but this is they've said in the past that this is kind of a 10-year cycle game for them. So there's a, a lot of life left and a lot of development yet to be done. Interesting. Interesting. Well, thanks for the uh, insight, Jason. I mean, I'm sure there's some listeners out there that have played it. Uh, We'd love to hear your thoughts, so leave a comment. Uh, Tell Jason how he should have landed. Exactly, Um, yeah. (laughs) Obviously without running off the runway. (laughs) Um, American Airlines is dropping 15 destinations in October, or as they say, they're suspending them for a month. Sure, 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 sure. (laughs) What's, What's the odds of this actually staying just suspended, Seth? 
I mean, for just a month low, and, you know, Infinity, not that low. Some, some of them will come back eventually. And a lot of these were, uh, a lot of these airports only had service from American, right? Nine of them, I think. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's a bulk the only year round service. Yeah. yeah. Bulk of these airports will have no commercial service anymore. With like, these. was like Joplin, Missouri, Williamsport, PA, New Haven, New Haven, Connecticut. And, but like, you look and like New Haven, Connecticut, you're an hour from Bradley, Hartford. You're maybe an hour from White Plains, hour and a half. I mean, not that that far from New York City or Newark. Yeah, a lot of them are redundant. Like Kalamazoo, Michigan, you're like 20 minutes away from Lansing. Get in the car, or go get another flight. But they're not all quite that easy. No, Del Rio, Texas is a tough one. That's down <laughs> on the border and it's pretty far away from a lot of things. So. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of crazy that American is just cutting the service altogether. Is it though? Like demand is shit right now. We're looking at we're still at thirty percent of last year's numbers, and it's tanking. I mean, it's and it's only thirty percent now because twenty nineteen numbers are starting to come down. Well, I'm thinking, I'm thinking like like somewhere like Del Rio, right? Del Rio, the closest place. I think I'm trying to let me look it up. I'm just thinking about where would you fly out of? I think you have to drive like two hours. Yeah, Del Rio is a bad one. But like Williamsport, right? They're flying to Charlotte. Why not just fly to Philly? (laughs) Right, you're much longer stage length. You can turn the aircraft much quicker and out of Philly if you need to keep that connected. Can you, though? I mean, Philly is – it's not Newark, but Philly isn't, like, a particularly easy or smooth operation. No, but I bet – I would venture to get most of that traffic going north-south. All the more reason to connect through Charlotte. You get halfway to where you're going. Okay, but the more operation – longer flights, more, uh, you're using a CR-7 instead of something smaller. Right, like, do you need to run a CR seven to Williamsport? I mean, when you've got fifty seaters, yeah, that premium traffic though, yo. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Can I interest you in the CRJ five fifty? This is American, not United. Oh, right. Wrong United airline. Made, United made it very. They, uh, I forget her name now. Sarah, maybe the vice president in charge of regional operations, made it very clear to me that they are not interested in uh, licensing that design and certification to other airlines right now. But, you know, you know, at this point, that was before the, the whole industry collapsed. At this point, if someone's willing to pay them, I imagine United would take the cash. Yeah, why not, right? <laughs> I'm actually a little surprised that Del Rio only has uh, American service. I would have guessed there's more. Um, I, mean, it's, I mean, it's not... United a, flies to, like, every dirt strip in... Or used to fly to every dirt strip in Texas and Mexico from Houston, I feel like. Yeah, they had Del Rio for a little while, I think. Um, and then they dropped it for, I believe, Laredo. And anyone that they were like needing to put, I think they were just flying into Piedras Negras, maybe in Mexico. Where they just went to the Mexican side instead. Yeah, I think so. But I think that that died too. I think they also used to fly to Williamsport. United did? I think so. Really? I could be wrong. Yeah. I mean, they're cutting Lake Charles as well, right? Yes. Yeah, that's that's an interesting one. I mean, you got you got Beaumont. That's a Houston bus, or is, is Beaumont the bus? Beaumont's the bus. I mean, like Charles isn't much further, so. Um, but it's interesting because it's like smack dab right between Baton Rouge and Houston. Um, I had a cousin that went to school there. Really? Randomly, yeah. Hmm, small world. Uh, what universities in Lake Charles? I didn't pay that much attention to it. Oh, okay. I used to work C- in Ciudad Acuna International Airport is just on the Mexican side. Gotcha. Rio. Oh. Uh, I used to work in Sulphur, Louisiana for a while, which is just outside of Lake Charles. Fascinating place. Um, Suburban Lake Charles, huh? <laughs> yeah. Living large, baby. Um, last story. Boeing is putting the squeeze on uh, IAM um, in Washington regarding the 787 bills. And this is regards in regards to building 787s in um, North Carolina, right? Or South Carolina, uh, South right? Carolina. Uh, Charleston, yeah. yeah. 
and we talked, maybe we talked about this a little bit last week. Um, there's definitely some, uh, negotiating going on. Uh, I think what we talked about was like Qatar Airways only wants them built in Seattle and painted in Portland. So that makes yep. it hard. Yeah. Uh, but for the right price, they'd probably come around. Uh, I don't know. This is every few years, whether they need it or not, it's good to negotiate with the unions. Eh, I don't know. They, uh, supposedly it's uh, just a feasibility study underway right now, but everybody sort of knows what the outcome is going to be. So. Yeah, yeah. The the interesting bit of it that I read was the union basically saying, yes, Boeing has talked to everybody about this except us, so we know it's happening, but officially we don't because the company hasn't bothered to mention it to the union yet, even though that's the conversation that has to ultimately happen. <laughs> wow. So they're not amused. Yeah. From from personal experience with union negotiations, so teachers' unions in particular, um, it's, it's interesting to watch them kind of from afar uh, and see kind of how – things go back and forth and like you offer two of something and then you get offered back. No, no, we'll do half. And you end up at one and a half and that's the agreement. And it's like minutia, like it's all minutia, but it's, it's important. Uh, it's just weird to see the negotiations take place. So, um, I think that's it for topics this week. We wanted to th- uh, one little bit, sorry, before I do that, Ciudad Acuna may also only be a military airport. So maybe don't fly there. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. You can find it only once. We're dealing with this. Anyways. Um, We wanted to say thank you to our Patreon, uh, new Patreon supporters, uh, Gabriel, Dan, Brian, Paul, Les, uh, and Travis. Uh, Thanks for supporting us on Patreon. We appreciate it. Uh, And thanks to Jason for joining us this week. Uh, Thank you guys uh, for having me. Yeah, of course. And uh, thanks for listening. So, bye-bye. Well, hang on a second. We can't just say goodbye. What? You got to tease the fact that there's more content for our Patreon listeners yet to come. Oh, Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> That's why they, people should be subscribing. Oh, Come yeah. on, Stephen. I still have to talk to you guys? I'm, t- I'm a terrible salesman. This is, this is why I didn't take a sales position. Uh, yeah. Okay. There's more to come. <laughs> if you're a Patreon subscriber, there's going to be some bonus content uh, at the end. So thanks for listening and uh, happy travel sometime in the near future. Bye-bye. Take care. See you later. <laughs>